transition um, from critical events. So that to see you here, in addition to our participants that we have a group analyst, we also have a connection via satellite with Bradley University. So I'm going to ask Dr. Lori Russell Chapin, who's on that end, to introduce uh, their uh, members from the Bradley University. Lori, can you hear me? I can, Carlos. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I wanted to tell you that. Um, you know, when we talked about this earlier, we had about 31 people joining us, and we have, Carlos, we had a, the storm of the century, and as uh, one of our members said, that all the people you see today are our war, uh, road warriors. <laughs> they had to fight to sleep the elements and everything to connect with you guys. So thank you so much for allowing us to do that. Let me do a quick introduction. I'm going to have each person introduce themselves very quickly. Um, my name is Dr. Lori Russell Chapin. I'm the Associate Dean of the College of Education and Health Sciences. And Dr. Zalaquit, thank you again for having us. I appreciate that. Um, to my right is our provost, and I'm going to let our provost introduce himself. Hi, I'm Peter Johnson. Uh, I'm the provost, and I'm originally from Florida. Hey. And he, he's glad he's here, though, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Bonnie Heinrichson, and I'm in the nursing department here. Yeah. Hello. Good morning. Uh, I'm Joan Sattler, and I'm Dean of the College of Education and Health Sciences. And I want to thank you, Dr. Salaquet, for uh, inviting us today. Uh, we have uh, alums and friends of our college who serve on our advisory council, so some of the members that uh, will be introducing themselves are from our community. Uh, I'm Dr. Joy Miller. I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm excited. I'm a snowbird, and I will be down there on the 14th and very excited. <laughs> I'm Judy Oakford. I'm from the community, but I'm with the American Red Cross on a Safe Communities grant. Buenos dias. Carlos, <laughs> My name is Beto Davis Navidad, um, and I uh, coordinate the school counseling program here at Brown. And Bob's going to serve on our panel with you today. Uh -huh. Hi, my name is Rex Morrow, and I'm the chair of the teacher education department here at Bradley. I'm Colleen Swain. I'm the assessment coordinator for the College of Education I'm Charlotte Draper, and I'm on the advisory council, and I'm associate foods editor for Southern Living Magazine in Birmingham. I'm Jerry Burkhart, regional superintendent of schools. I think in Florida you referred to them as the county superintendent of schools, and I'm lobbying for immediate uh, exchange students at the Florida <laughs> University, uh, and we'll be glad to exchange at any moment. I'm Dr. Mary Jo Mays, and I'm chair of the Department of Physical Therapy and Health Science here. I'm Claire Widmer. I'm from the community, and I'm a dietitian in private practice. I'm Dave Snell. I'm with development uh, for the Education Health Sciences College here, and also that's a fundraiser. Also had a chance to watch your women's basketball team play at Michigan State yesterday. I'm not sure how they did, but... Um, and coming back to our snowstorm, I had to get a head start, but uh, enjoyed watching your women's team play yesterday. Yeah, that was okay. I'm Dr. 
Chris Ryback. I'm the chair of the Department of Educational Leadership and Human Development. Kevin Randall. I'm a faculty member in Family and Consumer Sciences. There you go, Carlos. I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you very much. And we have a, a, a full schedule for today, but one of the most exciting parts of our program is uh, related to what really started this whole process, which was how to engage students in thinking about how to create a teaching opportunity from a critical event. And what do you know? After a whole semester, we have had a number of students submitting essays and participating in the essay contest regarding this issue. And before we move any further, I will leave my colleague, Dr. Thurman Thorne, to explain what the essay contest was like and who the winners are. Thank you, Carlos. My name is Sherman Dorn. I'm an Associate Professor of Social Foundations here at USF, and it is my pleasure today to recognize all of the participants and the awardees of an undergraduate essay competition that Carlos just referred to. The essay contest was intended to draw student attention to and recognize your work in thinking about the issues that we've been discussing over the semester and today. We asked students to address the same questions that have been the center of all of the forums today. Um, all of the forms this semester, and we told students that they could submit a paper written for a course or an independently written essay. One course in the College of Education, the Undergraduate Social Foundations of Education class, had a paper assignment common to all sections on the Tampa and Sarasota campuses that tied into this topic. The assignment asked students to consider a simulated case involving the immigration rallies this spring. Um, the course assignment ripped the topic from the headlines, as it were, but fictionalized it to some extent. And students were to address a variety of perspectives, issues related to diversity, ethics, and the role of the teacher, and to bring research to bear on the topic. All of the awardees I will recognize today submitted essays that came from this assignment. Before I mention the winner and runners-up, I'd like to recognize everyone who submitted an essay. Sections of the class run in the day and night, and I'm not sure who's able to be here today, but if you submitted an essay contest, I can assure you that I was impressed. I'm not teaching the Undergraduate Social Foundations course this semester, but I usually do. And um, uh, we had a very hard time deciding on the winner and the runner-up. If you submitted an essay, could you please rise and remain standing so that we can recognize you? I now want to identify two runners-ups, Catherine Jones and Paige Costley. Ms. Jones is unable to be here today, so could you please recognize Ms. Costley? Could you please come up? The winner of the essay contest is Gloria Harvey. Could you please come up, Ms. Harvey? Okay, now I want you to stay up here. Um, I also want to mention that Dean Kennedy provided, graciously provided resources so that we could give a $100 reward to the winner 
and $50 awards for each of the runners-up, which we'll make arrangements for shortly. Um, <laughs> We, we made this very, uh, um, uh, we, we gave a little bit of extra time for the entries and, and made some decisions over the weekend, so we don't, didn't quite have a chance to make the arrangements. Um, first support is the essay contest. Making arrangements for um, helping with the logistics was invaluable for uh, this semester's forums, and uh, everyone who's worked on these better forums, great, um, great appreciate the support. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down uh, because I can't contest, I can't speak for undergraduate students. Um, we're not going to ask you to speak for all undergraduate students, but one time comes to a conversation, we hope that you'll be part of the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just found out less than two hours ago by phone, and I was in class. So. Um, Forgive me, I'm a little bit unprepared. I was shocked and um, extremely excited. Um, I'm fairly confident in my writing skills, but um, you know that's well <laughs> so extemporaneous speaking is not really <laughs> my forte. But um, I wish to thank the College of Ed uh, for granting me this award and for planning the series of uh, immigration forums. Um, this is my first semester here at USF, and. Um, when I received the syllabus for the Social Foundations course, um, I must admit it, it was a bit daunting. And not to mention um, Dr. Rodriguez's welcome letter, if anyone has seen that. <laughs> but um, uh, my knowledge on the subjects of immigration and diversity uh, were not really great. So um, I was a little bit nervous. I was limited in my knowledge. The forums and Dr. Rodriguez's lectures really have, um, and this exercise of writing a paper, I, I feel a lot um, better with the grasp of the topic. Um, my paper focused on the fact that the school is a microcosm of the political, social, and economic issues that affect our country. And um, if you will, picture in your mind a circle. And the outside of the circle contains all the political, economic, social, cultural, community structures. And within that circle lies the school. And the outside of the circle affects the inside of the circle and vice versa. I learned that on my first day of class here, and um, it really struck with me throughout the semester. Um, throughout this experience, I'm walking away with a broader understanding and appreciation of the issues facing immigrants today and in the past. And I look forward to bringing this knowledge to my classroom in the near future. Thank you. Now, uh, our last section of our uh, event, and, and of course the most uh, critical one in terms of continuing learning, is the forum. In our case, Dr. Harold Keller, Associate Dean of the College of Education, will uh, introduce the panelists and serve as moderator, and for that I thank him. But I also want to express my gratitude to Dr. Rebecca Dabson Aviles for uh, volunteering to be a participant of that university on this very same topic. Beto, muchísimas gracias. And we have Dr. Yeah, I just uh, want to make a couple of comments first. Um, our University uh, of South Florida and the College of Education is very committed to engagement with the community. Um, at the central focus, 
of the college and of the and of the community. And I think these these continuing forums are examples of that. Uh, we're serious about translating our research and our teaching into practice. And when we are, an extremely important part of that engagement and part of that translation of, of research and teaching into practice is to give voice to the community. And so that today in the third forum, uh, we've, we've, listened to, we've listened to faculty, we've listened to school people, and today we in particular want to listen to the voices of people in the community. You are experts on this topic as well. Um, and so that, that was the purpose today. Uh, our panelists will be making brief presentations of five to seven minutes, and then we will open up discussion to everyone. Uh, people in the Tampa campus, if you do have questions of the panelists, if you would go to the central area so that the microphone can pick up your questions and be transmitted to Bradley as well. Essentially, the uh, participants will be asking from their own, or, or addressing from their own perspective, what are the key issues for schools that are raised by Latino families and their children's response to the immigration debate? What options do they see available to schools in response to these families and students? And from each person's perspective, how might the schools choose among the various options? Um, our panelists include Dr. Beto Davidson Avilas, who is an immigration expert at Bradley University, and he will lead us off. But our other panelists are uh, Mrs. Gladys Moreno, uh, parent uh, and advisory council member. Uh, Mrs. Lupe Lamas, is she here? Yes. Uh, nurse at San Jose Mission. Mrs. Julia. Escobar, who's also a parent. Miguel Angel Padilla, a student at Sickles High School. Um, and our essay winner. Uh, so, uh, if uh, Beto Aviles, would you like to start us off with a brief comment? Yes, thank you. Muchísimas gracias. Me pueden oír? Can you hear me? Uh -huh. Yes. Great. Um, when um, Dr. Salaket and uh, Russell Chapin first approached me um, regarding these issues, um, uh, I, I first was grateful for the opportunity uh, to speak to them and put some thought to them. Um, the key issues for schools raised by Latino families, um, their children, regarding the immigration debate, I think um, there's several ways to come at this. And the first thing that I thought of um, was uh, or were the social justice issues associated uh, with these discussions that um, the idea that Latino families uh, and their children um, talk about issues surrounding full and uh, equitable participation uh, in schools and education uh, in the communities that surround them, um, these are critical issues. Uh, I, would, I would remind everyone that um, uh, while we are a nation uh, uh, whose history is made up of, uh, of immigrants, uh, and I myself am the child of immigrant parents, um, it's curious that the most recent zeitgeist is anti-immigration. And these are the kinds of things that families respond to. Um, I'm talking about things that I'm sure are familiar to you all. For example, towns, uh, the, the, the federal government seems not to have 
taken as strong um, a stance on some of these issues as perhaps some would have liked, and therefore local governments are responding. Therefore, you have uh, local townships and cities um, passing anti-immigration laws, uh, some of which lately have been held to be unconstitution unconstitutional, but non nonetheless, these things are happening. Now, the reason I bring that up is imagine then, for example, um, if a town, if you know, anywhere Illinois is the name of the town, and anywhere school district in Illinois, and imagine this town passes an anti-immigration law, and their school is in this town. How is this school going to respond and still provide full and equitable participation uh, for its Latino family? That's the backdrop to this. What are some of the issues? Um, I can give you local examples of school districts where schools are asking Latino families, regardless of whether they know them well or not, asking them for evidence of their citizenship status. Um, uh, the idea that uh, Latino immigrant families um, face the kinds of challenges that are familiar to those of us who work with the, uh, our families. Uh, challenges of language, um, um, the availability of interpreters, um, something even as simple uh, as the paperwork that goes on between uh, a school and a family. Again, a more, a more recent example um, where um, uh, uh, truancy policies were set home uh, at a local school district and the policies were simply, were only written in English. And when the comment was made to, to uh, the persons responsible for disseminating the policies, they said, well, not everyone speaks Spanish. And yet, here's an, an, a segment of the population that's left completely out of the loop, um, depending on where you are, a very significant section. Um, uh, access to health care um, uh, for um, all low-income families, particularly Latinos, uh, um, and particularly Latino families who are undocumented. I really don't like the term illegal alien. I know it's used a lot. I prefer undocumented immigrants. Um, uh, these, there's some very basic uh, health needs and living needs that families are encountering in addition to the kinds of miscommunications that go on in school. I think I'll leave it at that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Would someone like to start? Okay. okay. My name is Gladys Moreno. I came from Colombia in 86. Um, I have a, I have a boyfriend for nine years, and then I meet this guy, and six hours, six hours later, I marry him and come in here and say, with no English, I never planned to leave my country, and I just finished college in my country, so when I come in here, I feel like a, I'm nobody. I don't speak English. I come to a town where only three people speak Spanish, so it was kind of really hard. The only people who I speak was my husband. My husband worked, no TV, no radio, nothing. So I got my, my first daughter a year later. Okay, actually, I have two daughters now. And then it was a little different. It keeps me busy, and I, it was very nice. And then when I had my second daughter, um, I tell my husband I don't like to live there. I need to move. It's too cold, whatever. So we come to live in Tampa. We come in here with, we don't know nobody, no jobs, and we zero. We start from zero. So, but we survive. And then when we start school, um, I have pro in the first, 
in kindergarten, okay, I have my daughter in pre-K and the other one in kindergarten. With the kindergarten daughter, I have some issues with the teachers. Because in my, with my little ones, the teacher welcomed me and I work in the classroom every day between like 7.30 to 3. Every day I, I go to that class in volunteers and sometimes I go peek through the window to my kindergarten daughter and I saw how they see her at the side. So I don't have enough English, so I ask somebody in there, I go to the teacher and tell the teacher, why my daughter is in there? And she say, because she doesn't speak English. I say, well, but she's learning. She's coming here to, to learn. And, but she disturbed the class. I say, how did she disturb the class? She didn't even speak. Quiet. <laughs> so anyways, I tell her, I don't like to see my daughter there. Put it back in the, with the class where she's And my point with this is then with the immigration and all the laws and rules, I don't, I'm not agree because so I work in the school now. Oh, since I volunteer over 1,000 hours a year, they give me a job as a bilingual paraprofessional. <laughs> so, and I fight for all my parents. And I always try to help them and make sure that then they have somebody in the school who cares about them. Uh, I even learn how to say good morning in different language. Like in Arabic people, when they go there, they chai. Because they mean, when you come to another country, you feel bad, you feel like, a, oh my God. Even this is, this is like, a, I thought, I think the land belongs to everybody, but when we come in here, we feel funny, we feel like, a, oh, this is not our house. But for one or for the other reason, we have to come in here to look for like a better life. Well, everybody has the different reasons to come in here. But it's all in one. We want a better life. We want to to have a better life. Right. So it, it was it was kind of hard at the beginning because when they gave me that job, I realized how many how oh my god how many people need help. How many when I see that like an Arabic people coming, a lady coming here to school, so shy, don't look at nobody, like trying to hide so nobody see her. And I learned how to say Sabah Hayat, spring good morning. So when I say Sabah Hayat to one of those persons, you have to see the face. Oh my God, like they write the face and, and they answer to me. And then they keep talking to me, I say, I'm sorry, but that's the only word I know. <laughs> no, no, but at least, no, no, but at least it makes me, like every morning, say, hey, Sabah Hayat. I learned to more, she teach me some more. Um, and I, I think too that the teachers in here in America have like a, they should have like a little bit hard. We come in here, um, I think like a, maybe 90% of the people in here are, came from another culture. Another, um, well, they're not here in Native America. So we should understand then when they put kids in here, when they put one kid in your classroom, it's not a child fault. They can't, they, they should be con, like um, treat them like the like the rest of the kid there. No, just leave it there because you don't belong here. You come from another country. No, I bet some parents or grandparents one day was in the same situation. So, 
then working in the school, I find out too that none, no one, no schools, they are allowed to ask for emig for immigration status in here. They're not allowed to ask for. So, and so many people, mean so many people, even people who come from another country, they don't go to school because they are afraid. They say if we go there and put our child there, uh, they're going to deport us or, or they're going to have problems. We need to tell the people, we need to let them know Then it's not a problem. Everybody here in America, uh, I think that's what the president wants, then every child go to school and get an education. That doesn't matter if they are legal or illegal. Okay. Um, conference. When they have, like uh, in a school, I never was invited for a conference because I asked the teachers, they weren't the teachers, say, oh, she don't speak English, why we have to have a conference? She don't understand. But I like to be invited for conference, even if you don't understand. And as a teacher, please go and find somebody to be a um, translator, or other people, at least give it the, the chance to find somebody to go and find out how it's everything. Um, well, I have a lot of things to say, but I think my time is over. Good, thank you. Okay, my name is Julia. My English is really, really bad. My class helped me, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, yo estoy aquí simplemente para, o sea, agradecer la invitación que me hicieron. Eh, y para decirles que eh, la parte latina para mí es muy importante. Yo she's, estoy aquí con un propósito. She's very happy to be invited to this meeting, and she's going to talk about the help in Latin, part of the Latin family. Okay. Ese, yo pienso que los, eh, la, la parte inmigrante es muy importante en las escuelas. Este, um, los niños ahora, eh, o sea, lo que están haciendo en las escuelas es importante. Eh, la parte de ISO, la ayuda tan importante que le están dando a los niños, a mí me parece que lo están haciendo muy bien. Yo hace dos meses eh, llegué de Miami, yo vivía en Miami nueve años. She came from Miami two months ago, she lived in Miami for nine years. Okay. Y definitivamente es una gran diferencia eh, la escuela en Miami a Tampa. She sees a big difference between school in Miami than school in here. Okay. Hay mucha más ayuda tanto para los niños como para los padres. Where? ¿Dónde? En Tampa. Or she says she finds more helping here than Miami. Okay. Este, estoy muy agradecida por el cambio que hice, por estar aquí, porque he tenido más oportunidades con mis hijas y conmigo. To being here for her daughters and for herself. Ok. Um, no, eso es todo. Muchas gracias. Ah, y estoy muy contenta porque conseguí trabajo en la escuela. Y oh. nunca había podido hacerlo, Miami. So, she got a job at the school now. Eso es todo. Muchas gracias. Okay. Let's go ahead. Or... Uh, you mind if I go last? Okay. Would you like to go next? All right. Um, my you. name is Miguel Padilla. I'm pretty much here just representing, I'm a student at Seco High School, I'm a senior. And from my perspective as a student, I believe it's very difficult if a student 
if, if a student comes from another country, regardless Hispanic, Chinese, any culture, where English is not their first language, it's very difficult for them to pass any sort of benchmark such as the FCAT, where it's, I've only seen it in English, so, so why should the student not be able to graduate if he came, let's say, junior year of his high school, he has one year to prepare, and he can't, pass, he can't graduate because he wasn't unable to pass the FCAT. So programs such as CSA are good programs. Um, communication is one big thing between the family and the school. Um, she mentioned very good, uh, good point about sending flyers home in conference with the parent, how the teachers don't want to have conferences with the parents because they won't understand. But if you try and you get some sort of translator going, they, you can understand a lot. Sometimes even the, the child can translate for the parent and the teacher. Um, uh, book, books, uh, movies, CD-ROMs, any other sort of program could help the parent and families learn English and help them communicate between the, the school. And my point is just that being an immigrant, you shouldn't have the same exact benchmarks as, as somebody who was born and raised here for 18 years and then be expected to pass the FCAT and graduate as easily. So, that's it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I guess it's still good, no? good afternoon. Uh, my name is Laura Lamas. I am a parish nurse at the San Jose Migrant Outreach Center in Dover. I happen to hold several hats on this panel. One, for one, I am an immigrant. I came from Mexico when I was eight years old. I did come as an undocumented immigrant. And for many years, I lived in the United States without the benefit of documents, <coughs> what some uh, in the community would call illegal. I worked as a migrant farm worker throughout the United States, and I don't remember anybody ever asking me for papers to pick strawberries. But um, thank goodness, many years later, I was able to become documented and I was able to go to school. I did drop out of school as a 12-year-old. It was halfway through the sixth grade. And it's basically because I was the oldest of eight children and somebody had to work. Farmers did not provide housing to a couple with eight kids if the eight kids didn't work. It was just the kids are subservient and they really didn't even care about whether or not they were there. I've lived in the Plant City area off and on throughout the migrant years, about 30 years, and I've seen the progression of the immigration um, in the area. Initially, they sort of tolerated us because we came and did the work that they didn't want to do, but when we started to move into the community to purchase homes next to them, it suddenly became an issue. You saw the bumper stickers, the welcome to Florida, not go home kind of stickers. Um, it was okay if we picked and did our work and left. It was not okay if we decided to stay here all year. At least that's what I, the conclusion that I came through as a teenager. In fact, one time I did leave the area thinking that what my family needed was for us to leave here to go somewhere where people perhaps were not so... Um, I don't want to use the word racial discrimination because I don't think that's what it was now. Back then I thought it was. I realize now that it was more economic than, than racial. I don't think it mattered what color you were if you had enough money. But um, many years later I had the opportunity to now work with migrant farm workers and one of the things 
the reason I was invited is because I was not directly but indirectly involved with some of the uh, participation of the students. I'll be honest with you, uh, I, was, I did not agree with the students walking out of school to go and take it. I really didn't because I thought it was kind of dangerous for minors to be out on their own in the street and that's what I saw in Plant City. They started walking out one day and then decided to do it every day for weeks. They were having, actually they, they were having too much fun for my sake. I'm a mother of a teenager. I have a, a young man, a 17 year old in Plant City High School, my youngest. My oldest is a, I think he's a senior now, either that or he's lying. He may still be a junior here. Okay. I don't think he wants to admit that he's not a senior. Um, but I still have one in high school. I am a, an, alumni, an alumni of USF, um, go Bulls, but uh, nobody here? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, my son's disappointed that he has to go to, uh, somewhere that he didn't want to go, but he's going to go anyway. He won't miss it. Um, the reason I agreed to do this is because I did have several issues that I wanted to bring up, and please somebody uh, notify me if I'm going over. I have a tendency to get on a soapbox and forget about the time. Um, social justice. Somebody mentioned it earlier, uh, I believe both the professor. Um, to me, it's always been a passion of mine, and I don't, I've heard Jesse Jackson one time say that they wanted to be on a level playing field, that they just wanted to be allowed to be on the playing field, I mean on a level playing field. And from my perspective growing up in Plant City, it was just let me be on the playing field. Even if it's not level, I'll work with the cracks or whatever, but it was, I always felt like we were excluded, uh, marginalized, somebody would say. I refer to our kids, and myself included, as the, uh, the, the um, portable kids. And it wasn't about being migrant. It was that you were always in a portable in the back of school. Esau, migrant, any kid with any special issues is always in a portable somewhere in the back. It's like they want to put you off to the side so don't disrupt, as she said, the rest of the class. Um, I can't tell you what it felt like not to know English because I, I was eight years old and I guess when you're eight years old, you learn relatively fast so it doesn't affect you and I don't remember not understanding what people say, were saying. But I see it now with many of the, um, the kids that I work with. I teach adult education now. So many of my students are, are dropout, or dropouts from the high school system where I live. Um, and, I've, and I see the same recurring theme over and over and over again. They dropped out of school because one, they couldn't meet the benchmark. Two, they felt like they were being harassed by the school system. Everything they did was wrong. The clothes they wore was wrong. The way they spoke, the way they behaved was wrong. So they just tried to drop out. Or, or many of them got into some minor trouble, were suspended, got behind in school, and rather than admit that they failed the grade and stayed behind, especially in middle school. And remember, middle school doesn't count in the dropout rate for the state. Most of my kids, most of the kids in the Dover Plant City area drop out of middle school. It's not high school. And, and you can easily tell that by the fact that in elementary school in Dover, most of the elementary schools are at least 50 to 60% immigrants. In our case, Mexican. I know Tampa is everything else, but, but in Plant City and Dover, it's primarily Mexican immigrants. But yet you get to the high school, it's only something like 15, 20%. So where did all those kids go? Okay. The dropout rate for our kids is astronomical. It's nothing like the state is reporting because and I'll tell you, having worked in the school system, how it's done. If my kids don't show up for school, they either left the state, went back to Mexico, or move out of state as migrants. They're never a dropout. Okay? No kid goes to school and say, hey, guess what? I'm dropping out today. Put me down as a dropout. They just, they don't count. And I know that they don't count because I didn't count. When I dropped out as a 12-year-old, nobody came to look for me. Okay? I'm not here to judge and I don't expect to be catered to. I, I see a lot of resentment in the community toward the immigrants. 
And I saw it when those kids were out there on Highway 39 texting. Uh, most of the gestures for them were not nice. Okay, uh, I don't want to force anybody to provide services for my kids. I, I realize you have to work for what you have, and I've worked very hard for what I have. But I would expect a little compassion, and I don't see that, not even from some of the instructors. I can understand the community being upset. I don't understand why some school teachers are upset. You don't have to provide a bicycle education in the state of Florida. Just minimal instruction. Our kids are graduating from high school with completion. No, they're not graduating. They're completing high school. The parents don't even know what that means. It means they couldn't pass the ASCAP and they were given a little piece of paper that says, you completed high school always. But they don't have a high school education because they cannot pass the ASCAP. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think any of us know. I know that social justice, compassion, communication are important and integral. Um, I think had those kids that walked out of the school system on those days and for the first time in their life felt empowered, if they had ever felt empowered before, they would have listened to the administrators. In Plant City, the, the kids walked right past the administrator that was trying to stop them. From the school side, I can see that why they need to stop them. If something happened to those kids, who was going to be responsible? The school. Okay, I, for my son, was I, I didn't allow him to go. He did stay home on the protest day. I allowed him to do that. Felt it was the least we could do, but he could not take it. Um, but there, there has to be, as Professor Carter said, there has to be a way to empower these children to be able to do, um, I guess this country is built on, on, on social, not social justice, on, on civic, um, civil disobedience, I can think of the word. But our people, my people, don't know how to do this. I understand from Colombia they know how to do this, and a lot of South Americans, and I'm very grateful for the South American countries because they were the first ones to stand up and protest. My people, the Mexican immigrants, would never have done it. Never, a million years on their own. And it comes from years and years and years of being kept down, even by their own country, by my own country, which I still don't consider <laughs> my country. I, I don't blame the U.S. totally. Mexico has a lot, to, a lot at fault for the situation. But many people who claim that my people come here and use services and provide nothing, forget about what they do provide. Okay? So instead of, I guess the, the, the teaching incident here, if you want to call it that, is that the children need to know that, that what they did was understandable, that there's other ways to do it, instead of just told, the next time you do it, you're going to be punished. Okay? For the first time, many of the kids in my community felt empowered. And for that, I was very proud. A little upset at them, but very proud. Okay. Um, in my community, if you stand up, you stick out. So uh, many people are afraid. Okay. I don't, again, I don't want any special privileges, just an, an opportunity. And at the very beginning, somebody said that the school is a microcosm of the community around us. Not necessarily because my kids, if they're undocumented, and many of them are, cannot go to college. They cannot even go to HEC. Okay. And then we have many kids that are graduating high school, and that's as far as they can get because, yes, elementary education is a must, but that's about it. Okay. And there are no visas for Mexico. Even if you had a category to qualify under, it's about 15 to 20 years waiting list right now if you have a category. The average Mexican has no category. So for people to say, why don't they just get visas, it's uneducated in their respect because there are no visas. There may be some for other countries, but not for Mexico. In fact, Mexicans are not even allowed to enter the, the lottery. Other countries are, but not Mexico. 
I, I feel that a little bit like almost like biting the hand that feeds you because if Mexicans stop picking best fruits and vegetables, this country's agricultural economy would collapse. But yet still, we are considered as, as, as a pest rather than a service. Anyhow, I kind of, sort of went off track, but thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, we can open this. I, I wonder if um, if anyone on the panel would like to comment about about uh, what what might the schools have done at this moment, and what you were talking about in terms of the the immigration and the and the picketing. Uh, that one response of the schools was, well, next time you'll get you'll get suspended. What I mean, if we think of education as as a growth enhancing. Uh, institution within our country, what might we as educators have done differently to facilitate and enhance this sense of empowerment to I help think, grow? I just have one small suggestion. They could have allowed them to express their civil participation within the school mm -hmm. so that they didn't feel they had to go out in the street to do it. They, they were out on the street, so that's the only place they felt they could do it. Uh, I think for the teacher, the best tool is the, the parents. If the teacher had a child from, from, from Mexico, uh, if she take one minute of her life and write a note or call to the parent, I say, even if it's a lie, I'm so happy to have your son here, very happy. Will you come in here and we discuss something They can give a chance to learn about our culture mm -hmm. and help her understand better the... The, situa the, the situation in there with the, the child who, who speaks a different language. So. Carlos? Yes. Uh, this is Beto Davis Naviles. Um, may I respond? Yes, please. <laughs> um, if, if the key issues for schools that are raised by Latino families have to do with social justice types of issues, access, equity, equitable participation. Um, uh, I, was, I was most interested to hear um, uh, our Latina sister who just spoke, and forgive me, I'm, um, I'm not good with names, but the idea that, that uh, our children are pod children, that they are, they are relegated to classrooms um, uh, that are not in the mainstream of classrooms um, sends a powerful social message and it sends a, a powerfully negative message of identity for our children as opposed to children where I have seen um, in a school in Normal, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes from here, um, where there are uh, ESL classes of uh, largely um, Mexican, uh, ch uh, children of Mexican immigrants, um, and the classes are in the mainstream school building. They participate with every other class. Um, they eat lunch together. I mean, it, it, it's full social inclusion. So if these, these are the issues, um, um, in addition to language, in addition to uh, um, uh, making transitions smoother, then it, the options, I believe the second question, the options for schools to respond, um, I think have to be multifaceted, multi-level. I think part of the challenge is, um, for example, as we look at children who, uh, uh, in the 1st de Mayo, the 1st of May, March, um, uh, we, we look at that and uh, the schools get wrapped up in, well, how are we going to deal with these individual children that did this on one day? As an aside, Cesar Chavez was a student of Gandhi and, and I kind of wonder whether or not he would have been smiling 
at some of the civil disobedience that went on. That being said, um, the, 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 it's easy to be seduced into thinking that you have to intervene on only the individual level. And if you look at options for schools, schools need to transform themselves and intervene not just on the individual level, but schools need to intervene uh, at the curricular level. We know through our data that some well-designed uh, 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 well ESL programs will have um, uh, students whose primary language is not English, well-designed ESL programs over the lifetime of the student will have students first staying in school and second, when you look at their, their uh, achievement test scores, they catch up to and in some cases surpass their white peers. If you want the research on that, I urge you to look at, at Virginia Collier's and Wayne Thomas's research coming out of George Mason University. Um, schools, in addition to curricular interventions, need to have community family uh, uh, interventions where families feel welcome, where there's somebody at school who knows not just how to speak Spanish, but entiende la cultura, understands the culture, okay? Um, uh, schools have to be recognized that they are not an oasis in, in a community. There's not a moat around the school, that they are an integral part of the community, and so the community enters into the school. And we have this relatively new, which I don't believe is a new concept, of community schools. Uh, those are options for schools. Um, systemic interventions, so that, that schools recognize that they, and it's related to the community piece. Uh, so schools recognize that while they're part of their community, they're also part of the larger area in which they live. And so um, uh, the idea that schools uh, and school districts contact legislature, uh, legislators, local legislators, um, council, uh, city council members, um, grassroots organizations to help and assist families um, uh, who are uh, uh, immigrant families. Thank you. Thank you. Questions from the audience? Please. Okay. Solamente quiero decir que, o sea, no importa la cultura que nosotros seamos. Este, las escuelas están ahí, siempre han estado para ayudarnos. Okay, she said then doesn't matter what culture we are, the school are always here to help us. Yo pienso que como padres es nuestro deber. I think like a, like a parents with our obligation estar siempre nosotros ahí de la mano con los profesores para poder sacar adelante a nuestros hijos. Like a, being there in the school so to help the kids to see. To see. Porque es un trabajo que se tiene que hacer en conjunto. Because it's a job to do in conjunction. Y, y va a salir bien. Yo no hablo perfecto español, de inglés, perdón. Y, y mis hijas eh, manejan el idioma perfecto. Y son buenas estudiantes. Y nunca he tenido problemas con la escuela. She said then she doesn't speak English well, but her daughter speaks very, very good English. And she doesn't have no problems with the school. They're very good students. It's true. Porque siempre estaba ahí. Muchas gracias. Additional comments? Addition yes, please. Yeah. Here? Yeah. Uh, right there, right there. Okay. Uh, the place is where? Okay. Yeah, right here. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, my question is this. Um, I did a couple of assignments where I had to go to the individual schools and observe different, um, you know, situations. Um, and uh, some of the things that I noticed were a lot of the kids 
were like masterful and um, they were really rude and you know, not very uh, cooperative with the, with the teacher. And I, that got me to think about what the young lady in the end said about, and the young lady in the middle, my parents need to be more, more involved with the education of their kids. I think that schools need to um, provoke parents to get more involved instead of uh, keeping them out of the, uh, the loop. Um, in the old days, I don't say how old I am, but in the old days, it's like your parents were like, if you had a problem at school with your kid, your parents were immediately notified, and they would come to the school and handle it. And today it's like, you know, they send your kids home or they send them to another class with like a learned stability or whatnot. And I think that's, that's only um, damaging our, damaging our youth and uh, something needs to be done by, I don't know, by the state or the, the federal government or something because uh, we're definitely our kids. Can I answer that? Yes. Um, guys, I know by far the, the parents are afraid. They are so afraid to go to school because of the communication. They are afraid to, they don't going to understand, they don't going to want them over there. And I always say in a good way to bring the parents in, like you say, it's the teacher's responsibility. And the teacher can choose to have a good year or bad year. Um, but I always suggest the teacher, like, a, like I said before, call the parents, make them useful. Like, a, get the most cheap papers and give it to the parent and say, would you please pass for me 50 sheets from here? You can bring it tomorrow. Even if you don't need a paper, you throw it away when she brings it. You may, you may feel, you make that, pe- that person feel so important, may feeling so welcome in the school, so we need to bring the parents to school. All right, um, I agree with both of you said. Um, I believe that it's the, the responsibility of the parent and the school. We, I think we're blaming a little bit too much on the school's part because a parent can also call the school and take it into their hands because it is their children that they're, that they're that's in their hands. Um, one thing is that it's, it might be a little hard to communi- for the school to communicate with the parent because um, normally in, an, in a Hispanic family, she says she was eight, uh, eight, seven siblings or eight? I'm sorry, I'm the oldest of eight. The oldest of eight. So the parent has to work, the both parents might have to work two different jobs getting paid minimum wage. So. How is the school going to contact the parent by phone? It'll have to be through flyers or any sort of paper, any sort of paperwork. So, but the parents should put out a little more effort into contacting the schools or sending messages to the students, the children, and and that way they both can just meet in the middle, compromise, and help their child's education. I'd, I'd like to make a comment here uh, in regard to the, the statement that many parents are fearful to come into the school. Um, one of our high schools here has one of our high schools here who, that is uh, involved in a community school uh, concept have started um, making home visits to parents uh, for the first time ever. And usually in high school, the parents do come in. But I think it's by choice, too, uh, if the parent is willing. But that is some accommodations that schools could make 
for parents um, uh, to try to set up home visits. It sounds unusual at a high school level, but um, it seems to be working here. So, and I would I would respond to that too, though. Um, <clears throat> I love the idea of home visits, but one of the things that I think is so interesting is that it talks a little bit about that sometimes even if you, you have to have someone who could speak the language going into the home, yeah. because often, again, and we talked about this at our last forum, the whole idea that um, if I have a, a child translate, not that a child would necessarily do this, but you know, they can they can say whatever they want to say and maybe leave out the fact that I'm getting an F in chemistry or I'm getting F in something. So they have to have this multilingual piece, I think, where people can speak the language and help other people come in feel comfortable about speaking. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think you're absolutely right. We've got to do something so that people are not afraid to continue to, to visit and to work. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, uh, Lori, um, it's difficult when you have children who are certain cultural nuances, not nuances, cultural values, um, respeto, the, the, the idea that children hold a certain place in the family and that parents hold a certain place in the family. And to put the child in the place of authority over parents vis-a-vis uh, -vis translation, I think in several circumstances um, uh, would be inappropriate. I think that um, not just the Latino community, but many communities of color many immigrant communities, if you go into cities and towns, you find that, uh, that, that, that we gather in certain places um, uh, over time and do certain things. So if the schools, for example, need to access parents um, who are working two shifts or um, uh, might not even have a telephone, um, uh, with some exceptions, parents aren't at work 24 hours a day, neither are children. We're someplace else. We're at church. We're at gatherings. We're at community gatherings. Um, uh, the idea of a, of a public school having a presence at the cathedral here might be crossing the line between church and state for some, but it would provide enormous access to Latino families, uh, uh, and they would feel comfortable um, knowing that there was a, a school presence in a place that was very familiar uh, uh, to them. So I, I think that, um, uh, that schools... And we're beginning to see this, as, Dr. as, as uh, uh, Dean Sattler mentioned. We have um, uh, schools are beginning to shift their identity and recognizing that they are an integral part of the scene. And so the drawbridge has been lowered uh, at, at several schools, and people are venturing out. And I think that's a great beginning. I think we need to pay attention to how well those things work, um, how we can change them to make them better. Uh, I think the part of the academy is important. Uh, that there are um, people not just in schools but at colleges and community colleges and universities across the country who can uh, assist in this effort um, to help design programs that hopefully will work and, and uh, can be effective. I was thinking about um, when you spoke about empowering uh, the students, that if maybe the students felt empowered while they were in the school, they may have stayed that day of the rallies, for example. And I think it is the teacher's role to take um, a current issue such as what was happening, and instead of ignoring it or being afraid to, to open it up to the classroom, they should bring it as an educational uh, issue and provide debates in the classroom or role-playing. and and maybe those students would feel, oh, this is where my importance lies, to, to teach my peers and talk about the issue within the school. And uh, I think that is our role as teachers, to do that. Can I ask, may I ask something? 
Thank you. Um, one of the things the gentleman said regarding children being the interpreters, um, actually they are the interpreters in most okay, especially with the community that we're getting now. The average <coughs> in the Dover uh, Plant City area is um, Mesteco Indian. They speak either Naum, Zapotec, Mesteco, any of the other languages but Spanish. The children or many of them are trilingual because if they went to school in Mexico, the only thing they learned was Spanish because Mexico does not provide bilingual education for the indigenous <laughs> population. Okay. Uh, so what we're having is the only people who can communicate with the parents are the kids. There is nobody in the school, and I, have, I know of nobody that can speak Mesteco or Nahum or Zapotec or any of the other languages. But um, even growing up, I was, I was usually the interpreter for my parents. And what I see now for many of the kids who are the interpreters for their parents is they sort of lose some of the respect because they think of their parents as dumb. And what a lot of the teenagers do between each other, and I've seen, a, I've seen them do it um, at the mission, is they, they sign each other's notes. The parents never see what the notes they because the notes are in English. And having grown up in Plant City, I remember in getting my own kids letters from the, from the school. The school would send everything in English, which I'm fine with because if the kids are in school, they probably can read it. But if it was a nasty thing, like your kids, uh, there's a headlight problem or there's a gang problem, that was in Spanish. Everything else was in English. So if you're going to be selective about what you send home in Spanish, either send everything or nothing. But just sending the note that said there's a headlight problem or we have a gang problem, that was insulting. Not the fact that they sent it, but that that was the only thing they sent in Spanish. Okay, so you have, if you want respect, you have to earn it. And I realize you can't blame the schools for everything. Our parents are, are many of them are illiterate. Many of them are, like she said, afraid. Most of them just don't know what to do. Okay. Um, but, and our kids are, are feeling empowered because they pretty much rule their parents because their parents can't even make it up without their help. Okay. Um, but our schools are only as good as the society that they exist in. Our schools are a product of the society we all live in. So they can't be any better than the society. They can just be as good as the society. I'd like to make a comment. I think it's, um, it's back to the student winner, the essay winner about you know, what we should do with our students in the classroom. I think, and so I had to encourage Sun. I said, Sun, you're going to have to go up and, and say to people, my name is Sun, um, I'm from Thailand, and here's what I get or I don't get. Here's what I don't understand. And so Sun's doing better now. I think he's doing much better, but he's had to be a very assertive person, which is not his culture. I'd like to add also, if I might, uh, a lot of, I think you've referred to what I guess I would call the hidden curriculum that we see in the schools. And some of it, of course, is designed for social control. Other is just kind of a lack of awareness and understanding of different cultures. And then I think it would behoove all of our school people to try to uh, be cognizant of the fact of different cultures and different uh, manners and different uh, uh, just ways of life uh, that by isolating someone obviously is a, uh, a powerful message that shapes these youngsters uh, just as much as anything that we'd see in our textbooks. So I think that's where we can do a much better job of training our teachers and our uh, administrators uh, and the leadership people, decision makers, to uh, take into account many of the uh, different uh, factions in a, in a pluralistic society that we have in America. 
that's critically important, but the, the hidden curriculum often is so much more powerful and says just as much as anything that we, we see in our textbooks. I have an idea uh, that we have um, uh, perhaps briefly touched on, but uh, I think it's worthy to bring up again. Um, very often, um, I train school counselors and, and, and uh, community agency counselors, and one of the models we use is a thing called brief solution focused therapy. And essentially, what it, uh, one of the one of the basic ideas is that um, uh, the problem that a, a child or an individual has isn't happening 24 hours a day. When is the problem not happening? And actually, to be more optimistic about that. Not only when are the issues regarding Latino families and the challenges, when are they not happening, but in point of fact, what are the best practices? Who's doing stuff out there that works? And what are they doing? And it doesn't mean that we have to replicate that and create footprints across the country because we know cookie-cutter approaches don't work. That what, what, what one approach may work in, in Florida may not work in, uh, in New Mexico or Arizona or even in, in Illinois. But there are some basic concepts, perhaps, that can be translated across programs. Uh, for example, um, north of here is a rural community called Princeville. The migrant work, uh, workers come from Eagle Pass in Texas on the border um, and their families. And every year, from Texas to Princeville, Illinois, um, they would travel uh, uh, following the agricultural needs. The people in Princeville and the people in Eagle Pass wisely put their heads together and said, you know what, we're not talking to each other. It's the same 25 children coming, or, or, or 40 or 50 children coming back and forth, or pretty close to it. Um, and I recognize this may be rare. Maybe this is an individual circumstance, but bear with me. Um, they got it into their head. Maybe we ought to talk with one another. And Princeville, in their wisdom, hired um, a, a school counselor uh, to work specifically with the migrant uh, families. And she followed them to Texas and talked to the school district in Texas. and. Then some folks from Texas came to Princeville, and they began looking at the fact that these children aren't making their Carnegie units for, for, for graduation, well, because our curricula are, are, are uh, uh, different. And so there became curriculum uh, alignment and standards alignment. And I'm not, again, um, you don't have to teach the same curriculum in Texas that you do in, in Princeville, but you have to align uh, uh, standards and, and uh, outcomes and, and concepts that are being taught. Well, over the year, um, for this particular group of children, over the couple of years that this program was in place, the graduation rate for children started out at something just unconscionable. It was something like 4%. It was just unbelievable. And after the space of a couple of years, the graduation rate for children um, rose over 80%, and several children were receiving uh, uh, um, scholarships to local colleges and universities. So there are programs that can work. There, there, there are people doing good things with Latino families and children. I think in addition to looking at the challenges that we face, I think it's important to look at the programs that are working and see what we can take away from those as well. So Bob, one of the things you just said that I thought was so wonderful is that that requires people to do what we're doing today, which is to connect with one another and talk about the issues. You can you know, not avoid them, not pretend they don't exist, but to really communicate and say what works with your community might work with ours. But we have to continue to talk to one another. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the biggest issues that we don't do. They're very helpful, very helpful suggestions. Are we at about 
time, or do you want to, any additional comments, Dr. Zalabas? Thank you. I have a question. Um, you Carlos, I can't hear you. Could you repeat that, please? I'm, I'm going to repeat the whole thing in a second as soon as I get to the microphone, because <laughs> everybody was pointing me in the right direction. Thank you. Appreciate the help. Uh, listen, we, we hear about so many different things that seem to work, and, I, and I'm, I'm tagging along Dr. Beto Davison Avila's comments. I, I certainly agree with that, and I, and I travel the country and I speak, and speak with many uh, Latino and non-Latino uh, faculty and students and families, and they all describe positive things. So I have two questions. Number one is, what seems to prevent more of the same, meaning more of the same that works, as opposite with having more of the same, which is so many things that perpetuate the hidden curriculum or things that, that do not work. So knowing that there are some things to, that work, my question is then, why is it that we are not doing more of that? And the other question is for uh, Ms. Moreno and Ms. Lamas. I know that you work with parents and families who thrive, who move forward, who make it through the system, if you want to put it that way. What, what, what is special about those families? And the reason I'm saying what is special about those families is because when you think about Latinos, and I'm one of them, one of us, we are the number one from the bottom up. I mean, we have the highest dropout rate and the lowest graduation rate in the country. So I would like to know more of what, what are those families doing right, uh, or what is it that you tell them that helps them to do the right thing? I, I don't know who you're referring to, so I'm just going to generalize about this. I, going back to your original question about why don't we reproduce the things that work down here, I, I, don't, I can't speak for every school, but what I see in some of the schools that I'm involved with, and um, I just get quite a few referrals from the school system, is that I hear a lot of a, we don't care how you did it up north kind of thing. And uh, we're happy with the status quo because our kids are okay. And I also see a lot, and, and again, it's not that I'm putting down, it's just what I see a lot, of uh, low expectations. Uh, those, those kids are not going to amount to anything, so why bother? The 80-20 rule. Don't waste your time with them because they're going to drop out anyway, so why bother? Uh, or referring them to vocational because they could never be college material. Um, that's what I see. I'm not saying that it's the only answer. Uh, as far as to the, 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 the families that are successful, the communication, uh, the fact that the parents are very involved, obviously, but again, you can't expect parents who don't speak English and who are, do not know how to work with the system to be involved. So I think for those of us that were lucky or blessed, if you want to put it that way, to have come at an early age and been able to learn the language, my kids are benefiting from that because I did speak English by the time they got to go to school, whereas my mother didn't. So of the eight, all eight of us dropped out of school before the ninth grade. So does the fact that the parents don't speak English make a difference? I think it does. Because had my mom and dad probably had they spoken English or seen the value of education, things may have been differently. But as it was, all eight of us dropped out. Every single one of them in Hillsborough County. Okay. None of my children have dropped out. So is it the communication? Probably. Can I say something? I made this girl last year who was senior, senior last year and... Her mama is my friend, 
So I saw that girl every day with mama, and I say, why you don't nice school? She say, because, I don't know, she don't want, she don't have interest to go to school. She don't want to go to school. And one day I talked to the girl, I say, why you nice school? And she say, because it's boring. I don't understand nothing what they say there. So she don't want to go to school. Well, one day I had to, I tell her, uh, don't do it for, for the school, because you don't understand if it's boring or something. It's try for you. You need to go to school. You need to think on you. You don't think if you don't understand or whatever. Try to figure out a way to, to be smart and, and stay in school. I know it's hard because for us it's hard to understand and everything. And she go to school and now she's in college. She finished. Yeah. But the, the thing is then in the school it should be somebody to to invite them, to make them feel good, to make them feel home, to donate, because it's war. Like uh, if we have a Chinese people in here and here are talking, they're gonna be bored. Oh my God, what are the people talking about here? <laughs> so it's boring. I can, you can, I hope you can pretend for one minute that you are in China and in a Chinese class and you only speak English. It's boring. It's hard to understand that. Mm -hmm. And. When my daughter was in high school, this is when professors, when you have to teach the people who want to be a teacher, please ask them, make sure, are you sure you want to be a teacher? <laughs> Do you know what it means to be a teacher? Are you sure? Think before you go to there because it's not, any, it's not that easy. I have one day, I'm one of the most, I mean, maybe good or worse party because I always was wear my child business. One year I need to have a conference with one teacher, specific teacher. And I asked the school, no, I asked my daughter, can you please ask your teacher if I can have a conference with him? And she come to me and say, mommy, he say, no, he don't have time or later. I call the school, I say, I need to have a conference with you. He say, okay, i let you know when. Oh, and the time passed, uh, two weeks, I don't have no patience. So one day I tell my daughter, I'm going to drop you early to school. You're going to see where did your ticket park. When you, go the, when you get out in the afternoon, stay there, wait for me. When I went there and, and standing beside the, his car. So when he comes, I say, okay, I need to have a conference with you. You, have a, you want to have a conference with me here in your room, principal office, or in the school board? So you have to be aggressive sometimes. He said, okay, let's go to the room and have a conference. <laughs> but we, we, I know what, when he say like a, seems like a, we blame on the schools. No, but the school, we are the one who came to the school. The school needs to invite us to make us feeling good, feel welcome. Right, what you're saying is the school needs to motivate the families, not just the students, the mm -hmm. parents as well. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good point. I'm not blaming 100% on the school. I know it's a big part for the parent. Um, like I said earlier, the, bear, the parent also has a big task if they have job, if they have, I think she mentioned community, community groups, like the church you mentioned, I think if you, or some, someone mentioned the church, and if you go to community, then the parent has a lot on his mind, his or her mind. And if you have a lot of children, then it's also a hard task to keep in touch with the school. But yes, the parents should should communicate with the school, as the school should also communicate with mm -hmm. the parent as well. But we have to let us, in any way, let the, tell the parents to, to come to the school. 
So don't, don't be afraid. Thank you very much. Did you want to uh, make some closing comments? Yeah, I would like to, um, to, to do two, two different things. One is to uh, thank everybody for uh, coming uh, today. Also, uh, express my appreciation to our brave Bradley colleagues who weather <laughs> in a very uh, um, strong way. As a matter of fact, you, you all didn't know, but we were concerned uh, about establishing the communication this morning because we didn't know if you were still able to have power and all that. We heard that. <laughs> Just barely. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I'd like to, uh, uh, instead, of, instead of summarizing, is to highlight the importance of communication, as Dr. Lori Russell Chaplin mentioned before, and Dr. Pedro uh, Davison Aviles and all our participants, communication is important in a number of levels and in a number of ways. One of the levels is communicating with those members who are the recipients people like me in a college of education, uh, the recipients of our uh, training and education uh, 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 at the end. And those are parents, students, and community members. So I'm very uh, glad to see you all here and uh, very appreciative of your participation. And I would like to close uh, uh, our last forum of today by asking each one of you, what would you say to teacher education? As you mentioned, professor, uh, teaching uh, educators, this is, what would you say to us, who belongs to a college of education, okay, about teaching the future teachers? Okay, and what you will say about teaching the future teachers to help them make teachable moments out of critical events? Can I go first? Mm -hmm. um, I guess if, if I were teaching future teachers, the first thing I would find out or hope to find out is whether or not they had an open mind. Many of us um, go into education or nursing or whatever it is that we choose with preconceived notions of what it is and what we should do based on uh, Little House on the Prairie and it's not the way it is anymore. So if you don't have an open mind about the future and your mind is set already about what it's going to be and what it should be, then you're not in the right place because the kids of tomorrow are probably going to be even different than the ones of today. And America is multicultural, multifaceted, whatever you want to say, but it's, it's dynamic, it's always changing, and so therefore, we need to be able to change with it. And if we can't, if our mind is made up already, then, then maybe we should go and do customer service on the phone when we don't have to interact with other people, because regardless of whether or not you have seen people in the community, if you may live in North Tampa and you've never seen a Mexican farm worker, but you will see them in the school and you'll see them in places where you never expected it, and unless you know how to react to them, you're either going to be that person to help them, or you're going to be the one that turns them away from the school forever. So basically an open mind. And I think then we should, we should aware the teachers, then not, it's not going to be perfect. They have the perfect class, and everybody speaks English, no problem, and there is Paulito coming from Colombia. And then the teacher, what am I going to do with this kid? It's, so I suggest then the professors tell the future teachers then it's not going to be perfect. You're going to have situations, many situations, not only the, 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 the language, but it's going to be, it's going to, they have to, it has so many issues for, to be a teacher, like uh, find out if they have any disabilities. It's not only the language, in this case, language, but the teacher, it's a, it's a, it's a big responsibility.
you have any comments you want to make? Comments? Yeah, I would, I would just tell the professor that, um, tell, the, tell the future teachers that they just remember what it felt like to be a student and not to expect not to expect their generation to be exactly the same as the next generation they'll be teaching. So just following on the point that she said, keep an open mind and just make sure that the teacher remembers how it felt to be a student and how it felt to communicate with somebody who was teaching you. So not just only to get perspective as a teacher, but also as a student. Keep an open mind. With thank you very much, and thank you in Bradley. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, South Florida. We really appreciate it. Dr. Zaliquet, thank you so much for allowing us to join you, and we appreciate your um, wisdom and sharing your information with us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>